We're continuing our series called Divided this week. And uh, we recognize that abortion is one of those issues that's divided us as a country and a culture. And yet, uh, among other things, and yet God really does have a plan to try to bring the people he's created together. God didn't create us to be separated and divided. And yet, sin and other issues divide us. And so I wanted to look at what is it that, what is God's plan to try to bring people together? And, uh, and we don't, um, uh, the way in which God is, is bringing people together is in and through the person of Jesus. Because Jesus, the son of God coming to earth to walk among us and reveal to us who God is and to die on the cross for us, making it possible for us to be forgiven, to be reconnected to him, to have peace with God. This is what is bringing people together, all right? So it's bringing our world together. The church is a powerful force for that. And so in this series, we're looking at what's called the one another passages in the Bible. And the Greek word translated into English one another is alalon. And it's, uh, we see it about 100 times in the New Testament. And 59 of those are specific commands and instructions about how we're supposed to work together and be one another, right? Together. We looked a couple weeks ago at how we belong to each other in, uh, in these passages. I'm just kind of going through and looking at different um, topics that they uh, all speak to. And so uh, one of those uh, topics was that we belong to each other. There's a connection. When we trust Christ, put our faith in him, he puts us into the church with a bunch of other people. And those people are different than us. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we probably wouldn't necessarily connect with those people. But Jesus says, hey, you guys are all my creation, and I want you to be connected. I want you to be in relationship together. And so we have a responsibility to each other. Last week, we looked on Mother's Day at how we're supposed to love one another and what love really is, as Scripture defines it, as it comes from God. This week, I want to look at um, the reality and the principle that um, the one another passages, many of them speak to the concept and the idea that we need each other to grow. And so we grow together. Growing as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is called, uh, we kind of speak of it in terms of like discipleship, right? And that's the process of following Jesus. And what is implied in that is there's growth. There's change that's happening in my life. And uh, another way we uh, refer to that is spiritual maturity. And the New Testament speaks to the idea that when we follow Jesus... God has an expectation of us. He wants us to grow up. You know, um, physically, we mature. I did not come out of the womb looking like this, right? Thankfully for my mother. Be pretty scary. So yeah, there's changes. We, we have a baby that's born and the baby's supposed to grow. Well, you need to understand that spiritually, the same thing's true. That principle is there, that God says, listen, I want you to grow, to become more like Jesus. That means there's transformation happening in your life. There's some benefits to spiritual maturity. Some of those are that you gain insight and wisdom. Growing and uh, maturing spiritually is going to give you insight and wisdom as you live this life. You're going to be able to live out what the scriptures tell you to do. When we see people that do something that's unexpected in a situation, we go, man, this happened to them. Uh, they went through something and they handled it altogether differently than I would have expected. When we see that, okay, in relation to a person's faith, we go, man, how were they able to do that? <laughs> you know, 
it's because they had gained spiritual maturity in that area of their life. And so the ability to live out what the scriptures say, instead of going, this is ridiculous. <laughs> the bar is too high. Nobody can do this. You know, actually we can, but it requires that we grow. Um, you'll be able to make decisions in line with God's will. A lot of people want to know what God's will is. Young people especially, what does God want me to do? So many people wish that God would just write me a letter, right? Would you just tell me what I'm supposed to do? But the truth is God does not do that. What he wants to do is help us grow so that we're walking with the Holy Spirit, listening to him, we know the scriptures, and we're able to determine and kind of discern what God's will is. And that happens through spiritual maturity. And then you'll have knowledge. You'll have the knowledge of what is right and wrong, and that will give you discernment as well. The Bible speaks to this in so many areas. And so this week, I just wanted to focus on a number of these one another passages that speak to this truth, this principle, that this maturity, this growth, we really need each other in order to see it happen in our lives. So how do we help each other grow? Well, we grow together in part as we hear the truth. We don't come out of the womb. We don't come into this world knowing the truth. In fact, we come to this world, the Bible says, born into sin. We're born into the sin of Adam, Adam and Eve. And so we come into this world um, with a selfishness, right? A self-centeredness, a sin nature that leads and guides us. We make decisions out of that nature. You can see it in little children if you're paying attention. I've got a couple of beautiful grandchildren. And two of them are little girls. They live here and they're amazing. They have angelic faces. They look like their mother. They're just beautiful. But as I've told you many times, don't be fooled by the beautiful, pretty exterior. They are still little sinners, right, underneath. And you can see it as you work with them and as we interact with them. And it isn't that it's hopeless. Fortunately, because of Jesus, there's a lot of hope. But we need to understand that. We don't come into the world knowing what the truth is. We need to hear it. As we come to this world, what we typically hear are the lies that Satan has permeated into our world and culture. That's what we hear. That's what is reinforced in our lives. That's what's spoken to us. And so we need each other in part because we need to hear the truth. And the Bible speaks to this principle that we grow from hearing the truth in love. The truth in love. Um, Ephesians 4, which is a great chapter in the Bible. Uh, so much good stuff in Ephesians 4. But verses 14 through 16 speak to this issue this way. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And down in verse 25, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. This truth in love is a profound description of how we need to treat each other, how we need to help each other, the role that we take in one another's lives. We need others in our lives. I need you, you need me to speak the truth to us, but speak the truth in love. The truth on its own 
can be pretty difficult to handle. We build our lives around our selfishness, our sin nature, the deception we hear. And when that's confronted, it can cut a little bit. It can be a little painful, a little, it can hurt even. And so the love piece is absolutely essential for us to be able to receive and benefit from the truth. Jesus, of course, modeled this as he walked the earth. He interacted with people and he spoke the truth in love at every interaction. And I would just encourage you sometime to read through the New Testament, the Gospels, and just note how Jesus interacted with people. What he said, how he said it, and, and the nature of his interaction. It's really uh, kind of fascinating. But one of these interactions is found in Mark chapter 2. And it's an interaction Jesus is having with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the ones who kept the law. They were the ones responsible to know the law. Well, they saw Jesus and his disciples one Sabbath, walking through the fields, breaking off heads of the wheat um, that was growing, breaking off the heads and eating the grain. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, you're breaking the law. Because the law says on the Sabbath, you're not to harvest, right? You're not to work. And here you are with your disciples, leading them or allowing them to break the law. Well, Jesus, speaking the truth in love, addressed their concerns, their allegation. He said, listen, guys, here's the truth. In the Old Testament, David, who's one of your favorite characters, King David, everybody loves him. Remember when he went into the temple on the Sabbath and he and his men were tired and hungry and they went into the temple and he ate the sacred bread and he gave it to his men and they ate it on the Sabbath? Do you remember that? Well, I and my disciples are doing the same thing. We're not harvesting. We're not doing work. We're just eating. And then he makes a statement about the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. He says, listen, the truth is you misunderstood the purpose of the Sabbath. Jesus saying, I was there. <laughs> I created the world. And I, along with the Father and the Spirit, are the ones that decided to take a break on the seventh day to rest and to institute the Sabbath principle into all of creation, to give it as a gift for man. And you guys have flipped it and turned it into this regulation restriction that's legalistically got to be kept, and there's certain rules about it, and you missed it entirely. God knows that he created men and women to work. Work occurred before the fall, right? It was a gift to us to be able to work, be productive, to do something. We were made like God, to be creative and to be industrious and to do things. And yet, what God also knew is that we would need a day, one day a week, to refocus, to rest, to focus on God, to make sure that we were sharpened, that we needed that and would need that in order to be healthy people. And that is what the Sabbath is all about. That's the principle of the Sabbath. It was a gift to men. There was a guy one day that challenged his neighbor to a wood chopping contest. And so they got out there early in the morning and began to chop wood. And uh, this man that was the challenger uh, that had challenged his friend, he worked hard all day. He didn't stop. He took a short break for lunch to wolf down his sandwich. And he kept going, chop, chop, chop. He was going to get more work done. Well, the guy he challenged, his neighbor, <clears throat> took a different approach and 
He took several breaks during the day. And over lunch, he seemed like he took forever. <laughs> and uh, this guy's like, man, I'm going to win this context easy. But at the end of the day, he was discouraged, kind of frustrated to see that the guy he challenged had a lot more wood chop than he did. And uh, he went over to him and said, man, I don't understand. How did you get more wood chopped? Like, you were taking breaks. Seemed like you took the whole day off. I worked hard all day. I didn't take any breaks. I didn't stop. How did you get more wood chopped? He said, well, what you don't understand is when I was taking a break, I wasn't just taking a break. I was sharpening my axe. <laughs> um, listen, uh, we need that principle in our lives. We need to sharpen our axe. We need to make sure that we are sharp. And can I just tell you that to ignore the principle of the Sabbath is to miss it. It's to be weaker. It's to get less done. It's to be less effective at what we do. Working hard is important, but God himself established something for us. And so this truth in love, that's the way we need to hear it. Sometimes we'll hear that and go, wait a minute, I work hard. I think we're supposed to work hard. It's a cultural value to work hard, right? But to hear the truth, as Jesus told the Pharisees, we need that. We need the truth in love. Jesus explained to them why they had missed the mark and how God's real intention with the Sabbath principle and law was to help them. We need the truth and love to grow. The second principle of growth that we see in this, these passages is that we grow as we live in harmony with others. Romans 14, verse four, starting in verse 14, says this, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness, <clears throat> peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. And here's the key verse. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. We grow together as we live in harmony together. This is a fascinating passage. It deals with the way in which we are to handle our convictions. It's amazing to me that the New Testament presents and makes and leaves open the possibility for different convictions that Christians would have on different issues. That there are issues out there scripture doesn't always speak specifically to, but that we might have a conviction from God regarding it. In this context, it has to do with meat offered to idols, which was pretty scandalous for the New Testament church. Lived in a pagan culture where the worship of idols, which was really the worship of demons, was practiced by the culture. And this meat that was offered in that context, some Christians said, you should have nothing to do with it. Kind of reminds me of rock music back in the day a little bit, right? It's of the devil. Drums are of that, right? There was all this conviction. It's like you shouldn't listen to it. And so Paul's going, hey, listen, for those that have that conviction, man, that's important. And if you don't have that conviction, be careful about how you live out what you think you have the freedom to do in front of others. What I hear in this 
is the importance of unity and harmony. That our convictions about what is right and wrong are important. As Christians, we tend to be convictional people. <laughs> we believe things strongly, right? Christians have died for their belief. So this is a big deal to us. But Paul says, hey, listen, there's another principle that matters a lot too. And at times it's way more important than your conviction. And that is how do you handle that conviction with other believers? Do you have an attentiveness to others? Are you careful and cautious about it? Are you conscientious of where others are coming from? Are you building up the church or are you, because of your convictions and what you think is right and wrong, breaking it down? I found this poem this week that I think kind of illustrates this. It goes this way. As I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a ho, heave, ho, and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled and the men you'd hire if you wanted to build? He gave a laugh and said, no, indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town content with the labor of tearing down? Oh Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. How do we handle the insight and knowledge that God gives us, the convictions we're allowed to have? In order to move in the right direction, we must work for harmony and help teach each other how to live out what we believe. The next principle we see in these, some of these passages is that we grow as we teach each other. And you might also say we grow as we counsel each other. Romans 15, starting at 14, says this, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know how to live these things so well, you can teach each other about them. What's happening in this context is there's discussion here about how we're supposed to treat each other. Paul says, listen, you're supposed to work to please each other. Your attentiveness to other people should be so strong and so good that you know what other people need and want and you're working as a follower of Jesus to please the other Christians in your body, in your church. That this is how you approach it. And he goes, listen, I know you, this, I know you know this so well that you can teach each other how to do this, how to follow this principle. We need help from other believers. We need counsel about how to live out the things we see in scripture. When it comes to our relationships and how we deal with the issues that go on and the problems sometimes that happens and the offenses that occur, how do we respond? And I can tell you that oftentimes my natural response is from my flesh. It's out of my pride. And more than once, I have sought counsel from people wiser than me, men who are following Jesus in this church. This is what is happening. This is what I'm thinking. I need some help. I need some counsel. How should I respond? And I, by the grace of God, have received really wise, good counsel, which has affected how I respond to a situation. I hear these stories a lot in our church where a person's wrestling with an interaction. It's like, hey, I'm being mistreated. I'm upset. Another person says to them, hey, 
you should be understanding and patient. How about looking at this from the other side of it? And that kind of counsel is absolutely essential for us to grow. Because we become emotional at times about things, we react, and it's like we need help. We need another person's perspective. This kind of counsel and help that we receive from other believers helps us grow. It helps us to grow in grace and love and patience to measure our response. We don't want to um, respond out of our uh, nature and damage relationships and break those. We don't want that. But at times, we will respond in a way that can cause that. And so this kind of counsel and encouragement that we can receive from others will help us avoid those missteps and protect the unity, right, and the harmony that God has called us to have in the church. Are you able to provide this kind of wise counsel to others? You know, it's easy to be sympathetic and just kind of listen and say, oh man, yeah, you've been mystery. Oh boy, yeah, you should, you're really in the right, you know. It's easy to say what people want to hear because that's going to put us in a better relationship with them, we think a lot of times. But that's really not the most helpful thing to do. It's not the response that they need from us as a brother and sister in Christ. They need from us wise counsel that we're able actually to help them to measure their response. I know I need that in my life, and, and I think we all do. Are you that kind of Christian brother or sister? Are you able to give that kind of counsel that sometimes pushes back on the response and what a person's feeling to say, hey, here's really how you should hand, uh, handle it. As we help counsel each other and teach each other how to follow Jesus, how to handle difficult issues that can pull us apart, another way in which we align our hearts and minds together is as we worship together. The next principle we see in these passages is that we grow when we worship together. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're taught here the power of worshiping together. When we come together and we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, right? Our hearts are directed towards God and we worship together. If we didn't learn anything, I certainly I did through uh, 2020 and all the, all the difficulties we've been through is the essential nature of coming together with other believers to worship. You know, sometimes you don't appreciate what you have until it's gone, right? Or until it's not as consistent. And the importance of coming together and worshiping together is absolutely essential. It helps us to align ourselves with God. We can worship on our own. We can listen to uh, Christian radio throughout the week. We can have times of worship with God on our own, which we're supposed to have. But there's something supernatural and powerful that happens when we come together. This is why our commitment to the gathering, to the church, or to a church, is so important. Because when we don't show up, we not only 
diminish our spiritual growth and maturity, but we diminish others as well. Because worship is not the same, as I say all the time, without you. It isn't the same. I grow when you're here. We help each other grow. And so we need one another. And we need to faithfully commit and contribute to this church and to the worship that happens here. God wants to grow us. And worship is one of the avenues through which we worship. This morning, singing holy, holy, holy. Man, I'm just overcome. You know, it's just so powerful to be amongst a group of people worshiping the one true God. You know, it's said that we become like who or what we worship. Who or what we worship is going to change our lives. If we worship money, we'll become more like money, right? If we worship happiness, then we're going to become more like people who pursue pleasure and, and we want to get what we want for ourselves so that we feel good. Man, we need to worship God. <laughs> we need more people who are being transformed to be like the one true God um, than uh, we need people who are being transformed to be like the things in this world. Lastly, we need to help each other overcome our battles with sin. Trusting Jesus cuts the power of sin away from our lives. One of the most powerful principles in the scriptures is that we're taught that when we put our trust in Jesus, that something powerful and supernatural happens in us in that the sin nature that has been uh, connected to us, to our natures, is so strong that we cannot live outside of sin. In fact, the Bible says we're slaves to sin because of that, uh, that effect that, that sin has had on us. But when we trust in Christ, that sin nature is cut away from our natures and we're able to actually do the good that God created us to do. It's a powerful thing. And so, but here's the truth. Even though that reality has happened, we still need help and we need to help each other overcome those sin struggles. We continue to battle against sin. And so we grow as we help each other overcome sin struggles. James speaks to this in James chapter 5. The first few verses are kind of the context here is 13 through 18. And the first few verses talk about how we are to lean on other believers and the church to help us deal with difficult issues. But in verse 16, he says something I think that's really uh, profound here. And it really has to do with this one another um, benefit that we have in helping each other. Verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There is healing that comes as we open up about our struggles. Sin has power when things are hidden. <clears throat> That's when there's power in it. Now, we're scared of coming into the light, of acknowledging our struggles, because we don't want others to know that we have struggles. And so we kind of develop this crazy idea that if we don't say we have any troubles, that people will think we don't have any troubles. <laughs> Does that work? Like, do you think nobody else has any troubles because they don't talk about them? Come on, we, we know that we all have troubles. So I think it's a lot more freeing in a church instead of coming here and trying to act like everything's fine, to just kind of say up front, hey, I don't have it all together. And uh, I'm assuming that you don't have it all together because we live in a world where we're battling issues. 
and you're a human being, I'm a human being, and we're all sinners saved by grace. We're trying to sin less, right, and, and be holy more, but we're all in the process. And, uh, and I'm sorry to disappoint you if you want your pastor to have it all together and be perfect, but I don't, and I'm not. I am working, though. I'm, I'm pressing on, right, towards Jesus, and I'm trying to grow and become more like him. And I am kind of have the assumption that you are in the same spot. That's why I'm not disillusioned to find that you might have some struggles and difficulties you're wrestling with, some sin struggles. It doesn't disillusion me. Kind of expect it because that's kind of how life goes for all of us. And so I think it's much more freeing to acknowledge it instead of kind of trying to pretend that we all have it all together. Again, I think sin has power when we do that. I think it loses its power when we come into the light. Now listen, we've got to find, and I think this is important, that we find a safe place with some mature people who can handle our struggles with confidence and help us, help encourage us. And in churches, a lot of people at times look to the pastor for that, and I think that's fine. I'm very uh, happy and honored to play that role. But we also have a ministry in our church called Celebrate Recovery. It's also designed to create that kind of environment where you can get together with some other uh, believers who are struggling with issues or working through hurts and, and, uh, and hangups, and you're in a group with others you can share with them and receive the encouragement and the support that you need. Look, it is not easy to follow Jesus. Uh, I talk to people all the time and go, man, it was a lot easier when I wasn't trying to do this, right? Can we acknowledge that? It's a lot easier to go down the wide path towards sin and destruction. It hurts, but it feels good while we're going down that road. But when we follow Jesus, all of a sudden it gets tough, man. We're, we're trying to fight against those uh, pressures and those things that we want to do. And sometimes the devil attacks us and, and it seems like everything is working against our efforts to grow. And so we need support. We need encouragement. We need to help each other. And though the Bible says we don't need to confess our sins to a priest or to a pastor, we don't have to do that. We can go directly to God. That's what the book of Hebrews says. Jesus is our high priest. He is our mediator. We can go directly to God and confess our sins to him. But there's also power as we partner with others. Other people are trying to live the Christian life. As we confess our sins in the right context, Right? Not saying we go around and tell everybody about all our struggles. That's not, that's not good either. But we need to put down sometimes that pride and that fear of others knowing about our struggles and be willing to let other people help us. Um, this is an important principle. I think all of these together speak to the reality that we need one another to grow. That growth is the goal. It is the, uh, a part of God's will for your life and my life. Not that we stay in the same place, but that we're moving. And that I need you and you need me and we need each other to be able to achieve that and accomplish it and see it happen in our lives. Sometimes we're not seeing the victories in our lives because we're not tapping into the resource God has given us in the church. And we kind of settle for just attending and, and kind of saying hi, and, but not really going any deeper in relationships and let me just tell you that that's a mistake on our part. And I want to call us as a church to go closer, to press in more, take risk, right? And, and 
um, give others and God an opportunity to help bring healing to your life and to help you grow. God, thank you for um, the church. We thank you for what you have uh, created, what you initiated and started, meant to help us and uh, help us through the difficulties in this life, the battle to follow you. And so, Father, we just pray that you'd help us as we uh, try to keep ourselves focused on one another and on the importance of being together and what we're supposed to be doing as we are together here in a church. I pray that you'd help us uh, to continue to move in the direction of togetherness. Help us to help each other. God, we thank you so much for this church and for establishing it and continuing to bless it. And uh, so we're thankful for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.